So who's got a resolution? Did you make resolutions this year? Anyone? Anyone at all? You gave it up for Lent, right? Get an early start. Yeah, I mean, like most of us, resolutions are meant to sort of push you a little bit, right? You kind of push it. So, so I wanted to push myself to start this new year. And so this is my big thought. Last night, I went to a concert that start time was later than my bedtime. <laughs> I said, now that's, that's, that's doing something in the new year, right? We went up, uh, Denise and I went up to see Billy Joel last night. That was a lot of fun. Lots of fun. Um, but just so you know, we didn't push ourselves too much. We were in the car before midnight. We wanted to beat the rush. And that's when I realized I am old. Because that's what my parents used to do, and I hated it. You know, like, let's leave early so we beat the rush. Anybody else leave early to beat the rush? Yeah, some people, I, that's me, yeah, it's bad. Uh, yep, I'm there. But I thought, you know, that's good. And, of course, I wake up, wake up this morning, and this new year, after out late last night, I need a nice pot of coffee. And I knew it was going to be a good year. When I put the coffee on, and I didn't put the carafe all the way under. Yeah, you see where this is going. You know, the little release thing. And so I set it and went to the other room and was doing something and came back and the kitchen had coffee. I was bad. I just laid on the floor and let it drip for a few minutes because it was that bad, you know. I was just thinking, so yeah, so far, 2017, oorah, right? We're good. We're good. So we're going to look today at a, a passage of Scripture. I hope that'll kind of get us into this idea of a new year. It's, it's, it's one that, that balances the past and looks toward the future, but really focuses on the present. It's, it's the passage in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul writes. It's a prayer that he has. I'm, most of the verses we're going to use are be up, be up on the screen, but there's also some Bibles under the, the, the seats there on the racks. I looked it up. It's page 1156. If you're curious, if you want to find it there, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul has this great prayer, which I think is a great prayer for us today to, to begin this new year with, to think about the things that he says and see how we might could build upon that looking at the new year. Beginning in verse 15, Paul writes these words to the church at Ephesus. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers. And then in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There we go. Good stuff, right? 
I want to look at the, the three parts of the three things he prays for. Beginning in verse 18, notice he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And he has three realities, three points that he makes, three things that he wants our eyes, the eyes of our heart to be enlightened to. And he says right off the bat, he says the first thing there in, in verse 18, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I, I like the, uh, the New King James trans- translation. It says this, the hope of his calling. Know the hope of his calling. I think pronouns are pretty important. And that pronoun there is, is one that reminds us of whose calling it is. You know, we talk about what are you called to a lot of times in church world. And we think about the thing that God has kind of called us to do and called us to be. But, but notice here in this passage, Paul prays that our hearts may be enlightened to the hope of his calling. That which he has, that, that which belongs to him. It's his for us and not ours. And I think this kind of takes us to the past. It looks back. It wants us to have a basis and a foundation for the things that are realities in our, our life. I think it actually harkens back to, to the earlier verses of this chapter, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to read those as well. Paul says this. I think the, they're on the screen. I'm going to use them off the screen this time instead because I, I think I put them up here in the New King James Version. Did I, Price? By any chance? Okay, good. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We'll stop right there. It's January 1st, 2017. i got to pause for a minute. I'll be writing 2016 on my checks for at least a month. We all feel that pain. But he says in this first uh, section, verse, verse 3, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed. Now, blessed is a big word in Scripture. Blessed in our culture, and our vocabulary, sometimes we, we sort of make it a common word, like if somebody sneezes, what are you supposed to say? Bless you, or God bless you, or something to that effect. Sometimes we, we uh, exchange this pleasantry, maybe it, I notice it through a couple of drive throughs that, that I go through, they'll say, well, you have a blessed day. Heard that, said that, maybe. We, we use that word. Uh, but in Scripture, the idea of blessed or blessing has a little more weight to it. I, when I think of that word, the blessing, or to be blessed, I have to go back to the Old Testament kind of origins of that concept. And when I think of blessing in Old Testament, I think of good old Jacob and Esau. You remember them? Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the younger, comes out, the second of the two twins, holding on to his brother's heel, and the rivalry is on from the very earliest stages of their life. And it, it culminates not with the, the bartering of the birthright over a pot of stew, but with the moment where Jacob, the younger, fools his father into believing he's Esau, the older. He, if you remember the account in Scripture in Genesis chapter 26, 27, he puts on the skins that he, Jacob was, well, okay, I'll just say it. He was kind of a mama's boy. Like to stay home, closer to the mother, doing the things around the house. Esau was kind of like the hunter. He wanted to go out. He wanted to, to be in the fields. He was kind of that, that personality. They were, they were opposites, more of his father's favorite. And when Jacob goes in to sort of trick his dad, one of the things he does is uh, Esau is rather hairy, Jacob's not, so he gets some skins and put on him, and, and he, he wants to fool his, his dad because his eyesight's not so good. And, and dad says, hey, I, I, I 
sense the like the hairy arms is is of Esau, but the voice is of Jacob. And if you remember, he pulls him close and he takes a whiff. And it was that kind of moment of smelling his son Esau that he was convinced this was Esau. And he blesses Jacob, thinking it's Esau. Listen to the words of this blessing in Genesis chapter 27. He says to to uh, <clears throat> excuse me to Jacob, ah. The smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. Oh, that's going to sting. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. This is not just... God bless you because you sneezed or have a blessed day. This is a moment of conferring something weighty upon his son. This is a moment of of recognizing the father as the authority figure. This patriarchal system in the Old Testament where the dad will pass on something to his son. There's weight to it. There's heaviness. And you see just a few verses later when Esau comes in and he hears that he has blessed his younger brother Jacob. Esau says, don't you have any blessing left for me? And he says, his father Isaac answers in verse 39, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. How that for a blessing? Away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from off your neck. This idea that, that the words that the blesser speaks have weight, have meaning, have consequence. And so when we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, the idea is this picture of intimacy, because whenever you see a blessing, there's often a physical contact between the the blesser and the one who is blessed. And there's these these words of affirmation, there's these almost prophetic sense of the, the fate or the destiny of the one who is blessed. And we are told by Paul, This is the reality. You have been blessed by God, the Father, by the authority through Jesus Christ. And your blessing carries weight with it. Not just little bit, but huge weight. Because you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. A few chapters later in Genesis, Jacob, though he received the blessing of his father, is about to meet up with his brother again. And as he sends his family and his possessions away, because he's a little anxious. Esau is kind of upset about this incident. He sends them all away. And in the night, the angel of the Lord comes to wrestle with him. And they wrestle for, for a long period of time, almost till daybreak. And then scripture records that the angel touches the socket of his hip. And what does Jacob do? The only thing he can do, he just grabs on. He won't let go. In fact, he says to the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. And what is the blessing there? Another, this physical contact, this moment where things are happening important in Jacob's life and the words that are spoken is no longer will you be Jacob, but you will be Israel. You will be the father of these many nations. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pause for a second. Dave, as you know, has had some issues health-wise. Had some stents put in just a few weeks ago. He's not feeling so well this morning. So can we just pause and pray for him? Is that okay? Because that's all you're thinking about right now. So let's pray. 
Gracious God, we thank you for our brother Dave. We thank you for uh, his, his friendship, his ministry among us. We thank you for his presence here today. We thank you for the things that you have seen him through, from his accident a few years ago to just a few weeks ago, the, the heart catheterization. And Lord, as his creator is the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, in this moment we know you know exactly what's causing his discomfort. You know exactly physically what's happening with him. Thank you for for Cheryl and her skills as a nurse, for the, the others who are tending to him. We pray, Lord, that as the great physician, you would be with him, place your healing hand upon him. Lord, for those who will care for him, doctors and nurses or whoever else that he needs to see, Father, may you shepherd him there. And we, Father, would ask and look forward to the news that he is doing well and that you have, you have been faithful as you have been so many times for all of us. God, we pray, even as we've just talked about, your blessing upon him, your touch and your words of healing and wholeness upon Dave's life and upon his body. We thank you for this. We thank you that you are the God who hears and answers. We, are thank, we thank you that you are the God who intervenes even miraculously in the affairs of our lives. And so we trust this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave told me a few minutes ago, he says, I've about run out of ways to get your attention. I think he found another one. <laughs> He's tired of doing it out on the road or in his house. He's just going, no. So, so remember, Dave, we'll let you know. Um, send out a, an email after service when we hear more. Or, uh, maybe put something on, on the Facebook. Did you look on Facebook this morning? Facebook on New Year's Day is like, my New Year's was better than your New Year's. Nanny, nanny, nanny. <laughs> Did you, that's not right. I shouldn't have said that. But it seems like that. Anyway, where were we? Blessed. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. God has come into contact with you in Christ Jesus, the personal relationship that is possible, so that all that is God's has been placed to your account. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, as he continues this, this account, he says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Notice as he expounds upon this, for, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Not only are you blessed with every spiritual blessing, part of that blessing is God chose you. God uniquely saw you, knew you, and by his Holy Spirit acted in your life to draw you to himself so that you would come to understand who Christ Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, that Jesus is the one who came to offer His life and His, his uh, sacrifice for your sin. All of that becomes to your account. But God acts in history to, to let you know that, to reach out by His Holy Spirit, to choose you. And He goes on, He says, not only are you chosen, but He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Blessed every way, chosen so that you could be adopted. Adoption is is a a marvelous thing. We watched some good friends of ours several years ago, as you did, uh, the Lescalites, who adopted two daughters from China. I love Janet's answer when people ask him, why are you adopting from China? And she would say this, because that's where our girls are. I like that answer, you know, just straightforward. And to, to walk with them through the process, to see the email with the first little grainy picture of Joy Lynn and then later Faith, to know that, that we could be at the airport when they returned home from China, walked off the plane, walked down the, the, the plank toward where we were. The plank, that's not the right word. The, 
feels like you're walking the plank when you get on a plane, doesn't it? That's another story. Walk down the aisle from off of the gate, nonetheless, to be a part of that process and to see these girls as they've grown up over these last several years and, and you know, when they visited just a few weeks ago, to, to see the way the family is, is that way, to think that those girls will know their entire life that though they were as far probably away as you could get from where Tim and Janet were, they acted and moved and spent and sacrificed so that Joylin and Faith could grow up in their home. They went to great effort and expense to make that possible. And we are God's adopted sons. Now, I know we got some ladies here. No offense, you want to be a son. Not really. But in the picture, scripturally, sons is an important thing. Now, sometimes in scripture, a masculine pronoun might just mean everybody. But in this case, sons is very important because the rights of sons in that culture was different than the rights of daughters. So you want to be adopted, not just as a child, but as a son, receiving the full rights of that adoption. Blessed, chosen, adopted. He goes on, I think in the, I'm going to go back to the New King James because I like this verse. I think we're on verse 4 or 5. Hopefully we can get there. I didn't bring my, my New King James. I got my NIV. Just as he chose us, there it is, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Next verse tells us, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then verse 5, I believe we're on, goes on and tells us, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted. Somehow God accepts you. Hey, look, I've looked in the mirror. Not always the most pleasant picture sometimes. I don't mean just the physical mirror, but I mean when you see and you know yourself better than anybody knows you because you see the stuff and you think the stuff that nobody hears or sees. And if those are the things that maybe you worry if they did hear or see, they wouldn't be so accepting. God does hear, God does see, and you're accepted anyway in the beloved. Next verse Blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redeemed and forgiven. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God would forgive you of what you've done wrong? Blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. When we talk about to know the hope of his calling, that's part of it. And back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, if you remember, it tells us there, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. And when you come to know Him better, you realize more and more all the realities of that blessing that you have been given. The goal of that blessing is to get to know Him. Not religious ritual, not just coming to church, not doing the things that we do thinking somehow that earns favor with God. No, that we might know Him better. That we might see the reality of who He is and experience the reality of all those blessings, being blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, not only are you given the hope of His calling, but, but the second thing He emphasizes is we have been given the riches of His glorious inheritance. Notice again, it's not our inheritance it's whose inheritance his why because we've been made joint heirs with him isn't that good news it's supposed to be good news now 
We talk about birthright. We talk about blessing. We talk about the culture there. You, you may be familiar with the idea that the oldest child, the oldest son, received the big portion, the double portion, it's often called, of the blessing or of the inheritance. And we have been made not just an heir with Jesus, but we've been made a joint heir with him. We've been granted kind of the biggest piece of the pie. Isn't that good news? It's good news. It really is. Trust me. I like pie. Don't you like it when you get the biggest piece of the pie? I mean, you know, key lime pie is big around here, they tell me. Maybe you're out of Thanksgiving. Any pumpkin pie? Pecan pie. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, Mincemeat? Mincemeat? No, I didn't think. Okay. We, okay, mincemeat. We have two. Uh, sweet potato. Oh, two. So, apple? We can talk pie all day. I hope you don't have anywhere to go. Alamo. Now we're getting really somewhere. Ice cream on the side, you know. I like pie, and I want the big piece. Are you like me? You like see how they're cut? And you're, you're like, how much does she really love me? <laughs> oh, look, the girl child got the biggest piece. She loves her more. Nobody would say that except for me, maybe. Nonetheless, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Except, as we're considered joint heirs with Jesus, we understand the riches of his glorious inheritance is ours in him. And notice what his inheritance is. This is remarkable to me when you, when you see this. His glorious inheritance at the end of verse 18 in the saints. Who are the saints that go marching in? Oh, when the saints go marching in, that's you and me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a saint. Say it to the other side. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Look up. Look around. You're a saint. I am surrounded by saints. Don't see the first halo. We are joint heirs with Jesus, and his inheritance is in the saint, is in us. We are the inheritance in many ways that is spoken of here. Now, I can understand that, having a couple of kids. Aren't we as parents immeasurably more proud when our kids have accomplishments than we probably ever were about anything we did? I've heard you brag about your kids. You've heard me brag about my kids. And I get a microphone on Sundays. You have no choice. We love to brag about our kids. And then they tell me. There's something even better than kids. That's what I hear. Grandkids. We brag about them. We want to show pictures of them. Tell all about everything they've ever done. They ate something today. Oh, they, they took their first steps today. Oh, you should have seen what was in their diaper today. We talk about the craziest things. Because we're so proud as parents and grandparents of our little ones. And, and the picture here, I think, is that, that we are the inheritance. And, and here's where the enemy really wants to get in. When he comes at us, when the devil comes at us and tempts us, and we stray and we fall and we sin, it eats away at that inheritance. It eats away at that glorious thing that is the church, that is the saints of God, that is the inheritance that we all are a part of and that Jesus holds so dear. And so the enemy wants to chip away at that. And we can talk a lot about how that will one day be the truth. 
We could talk about heaven and streets of gold and a gate of a single pearl and where there's no more crying and no more tears, where there's no more sickness, where this old order of things has passed away. And we talk about that in certain contexts, and it's important to do that, and that's good. And we also talk about salvation, and we look back to the cross. And in just a few minutes, we'll take the supper together, and we'll look back at the death of Jesus, and we'll proclaim his death until he comes again by these elements of bread and juice. But notice the emphasis in this passage is the next thing. In Greek, when there's a list, one of the things that's significant as the Greek language builds is that in a list, the last thing listed is always considered the most important. The last of the list. Not that the others aren't important, but you kind of save the best for last. Right? That's why we have pie for dessert. Tracking? Good. And he says, not only the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, but he goes on and tells us, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power. Have you felt powerless? There are times when we do. I mean, I, I think the mood for a lot of folks, as I, not, not even people I knew, but like, Social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, those other type applications. The mood for a lot of people toward the end of the year was helplessness, powerlessness. Like, this is horrible. I can't wait for this year to be over. And we can feel like that in the face of this world that sometimes is tragic and harsh. And we look for ways out of that. I think that's why, well, I watch football. Now, I did, I did, I saw Alabama won. I don't know what happened in game two. It's recorded. So just saying. Just shh. Pop. Quiet in church. Shh. It's recorded means I want to watch it later. And, and then there's the Bucks playing, the Panthers. Hey, and do you know the Bucks could get in the playoffs if 47 things happen just right? <laughs> Including... Is it the Giants and Redskins have to tie, which happens all the time? Kissing your sister, right? There we go. Now, I hear the Dolphins are already in the playoffs. Even if they lose, what in the world has gone wrong with this place? I don't know. We look to that. Now, I'm also, I think this is another place we see this. We want to feel empowered, so we look to, uh, well, lately, movies, particularly superhero movies. They're kind of all the rage. There's this... I guess you might could say a bit of a competition. I don't think it's much competition between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Cinematic Universe, between the Avengers and the Justice League, which is really no competition at all. I, I got excited. I, I'm a big Marvel fan. I've liked all those movies. Um, and then now DC comes out, and I watched the first Superman, Man of Steel. I fell asleep. I don't know what happened. Apparently, he, he destroyed a lot of stuff is all I heard, and he really ticked off Batman. I'm about to ruin Batman versus Superman for you, so I'm going to give you 30 seconds to leave if you don't want to hear. Actually, I can't ruin it. Warner Brothers already did. So, so you've got Batman against Superman, right? If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to ruin it for you. I'm sorry. It's been a while. It's been out on DVD for a while, too. And there's this scene where they're fighting. That's the whole point. And Batman has Superman on the ropes. He's found the kryptonite. And he's about to take the kryptonite, whatever, spear, and 
put it right through Superman's heart and in Superman until they find out their moms have the same name. Your mom's name is Martha? Well, get up, let's take a selfie. Come on, let's fight the bad guy. I'm like, really? That? That's it? And then the the Wonder Woman character shows up, and yeah. But a lot of people get into that. Apparently, I do too much. Because we feel powerless, and we want to look at that kind of an escape to feel like there's something out there. What does this verse say? His incredible power toward us who believe. And you want to hear real power. Notice how he describes this power, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. Now that's some power. That God acted in history in such a miraculous way that after Jesus was dead, after He was crucified, killed in the most torturous way possible at the time, put in a tomb, sealed, a guard placed before it, all hope is lost, disciples scattered, this is the end. Three days later, the stone is rolled away, and the dead has come back to life. That is the picture here that Paul says to us is the reality that we live in. He prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so we can know that hope to which he has called us, that incredible salvation, being blessed and chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance the hope that we have for the future but the past and the future aren't enough we need something for the here and now christianity our faith in jesus christ is for today the victory that is won isn't in the sweet by and by only but it's in the the down and dirty here and now that we need a little touch of that power and he says i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe that power like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised him from the dead do you need in your life a dose of that power because i do sometimes remember in college when you took tests oh forget college a little younger because we got some people that haven't quite made it to college aren't tests fun Okay, just checking. You know what really got me? A couple times it happened. I don't know how. Now, back, I know this isn't that long ago. It feels like forever ago. Back when I was in college, things were sort of still paper and blue book and pencil and pen and bubble things. Now they take all their stuff online, apparently. Caroline takes half her classes and half her tests online. You might have to go to the room to take it. She can take it online. Sometimes you can just take it whenever. And I, I'm always like, can you use your book? She's like, well, yeah. I'm like, did the professor say it was okay? She's like, well, yeah. I'm like, really? That's not fair. I didn't get to use my book. I had to sit in a room. And the, the professor would walk up and down, and I had to use my hands and a pencil. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but there were a few times when we were allowed to use our book or our notes, and I didn't know it or I didn't bring them. 
And isn't that the most helpless feeling afterwards when you're like, I didn't know the answer. Well, you could use your book. I'm like, what? It was an open book test? Yeah. Hey, listen, life is an open tomb test. Jesus came out of the tomb to empower you every day to live and and act in ways that demonstrate his power on your behalf in the numerous tests that we take every moment of our day. That's what Paul is praying would be the reality for us, that we know the, the fact that we are saved because of what he has done in history, and we know the fact we will be saved one day when he returns and restores and, and makes right every wrong, but we can be in this moment saved by his power at work in us. And notice he goes on and finishes this section by telling us, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, meaning Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. And then he describes the church this way, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That The church is the, to be the full expression of Jesus Christ on earth. That you and I, as his people, redeemed by his blood, blessed by every spiritual blessing, adopted, forgiven, empowered by his spirit, are to be the expression of Jesus Christ wherever we go and however we live. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I will draw all people to me. And we, the body of Christ, the fullness of him, the, the full expression of him who fills everything in every way are the way that Christ is lifted up by the way we live and the way we act, the way we interact, the way we see and meet needs, the way we share the hope that we have. All of that stuff is the way by which Jesus might be lifted up. And as we lift him up, he draws people to himself. That, that phrase lifted up, I, I know, has a technical sense to it to refer to crucifixion as well. And that's why we take the supper together. Communion, the Lord's Supper, called various things in different uh, churches. And basically it is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the way by which we proclaim his death, that moment in history when he was physically lifted up on a cross. Even recalling like the serpent lifted up in the wilderness in Exodus. He lifted up and you look to him for salvation. And so today we're going to proclaim that. We're going to lift him up in a tangible way by the passing of bread and cup, reminding us of his broken body and his shed blood. And I hope in these moments you'll be reminded of the things Paul prays for us to have our hearts enlightened about, the hope of his calling, the hope of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power toward us who believe. I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward as we prepare the table. And let me say a word to you who are here. When we take the Lord's Supper together, we invite all who know Christ as Savior. Whether you're a member of our church or not isn't the important thing in this moment. We are a member, as, as Paul ended this, of the body of Christ. All those who look to Christ for salvation are members of his body. And today, if that is you, we invite you to take and worship with us these elements at the Lord's table.